0: Welcome back to the show everybody, it's your boy Lo Jackson, this is the Only You Podcast. And again, I was going to do more of Leo Tolstoy, in which I found some really good information about this gentleman. He actually lost his mother when he was two years old, and his father passed away when he was nine years old. He was born to an aristocrat Russian family, which I had mentioned that, and the last story I read by Leo Tolstoy... His most notable works were War and Peace and Anna Karina, which I told you in the last episode by Leo Tolstoy that, you know, he kind of really despised Anna Karina later in life when he went on a search for a better meaning to religion, and he wound up becoming a really great spiritual leader. He went on to influence Mahatma Gandhi and also Martin Luther King Jr., and Martin Luther King Jr. actually believed in a lot in this gentleman because they were similar, you know. They marched for peace. They stood up against certain ideologies that the Christian church believed in, and they led a way to peace and harmony, and Tolstoy was actually nominated from 1900 to like 1907 seven times for the nobel peace prize in which he never did win but you know it says a lot about him he had he was a big influencer and it's funny because in 1860 and 1861 he actually met up with um victor hugo and victor hugo had just finished writing les miserables and Tolstoy read Les Miserables, And if you don't know anything about Jean Valjean, check it out. That's a great read. It's um, uh, Victor Hugo was a romanticism writer. He's considered one of the greatest French writers ever. Um, he's also known for writing other really famous books. Um, but back to Leo Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy actually... Uh, you know, when, when after he read uh, Les Miserables, he wrote the book War and Peace, and in the war scene, you can feel the same thing that's in Les Miserables at certain points. It's a really good read; you should check it out. Um, thank you for listening to the Only You podcast. I came across um, Leo Tolstoy. I don't know, probably around 2012, I think. He was somebody I really believed in. Like, I I felt his transformation from being a nihilist, which he, a nihilist just believes that you have no morals, no meaning, life's meaningless, and they care for nothing. Um, he lived like that. He became an anarchist for a while where he didn't believe in the government. But... I do believe that the Lord called him back to the flock, like you know, in the Bible when it says, "If one of the ninety-one, nine, if one of the ninety-nine stray, the shepherd goes out, you know, get that one and bring it back." And if you say you believe in Jesus and that you've been saved, he'll come back and get you eventually. And today I'm going to read to you where love is, God is by Leo Tolstoy, and he was actually a count. His name's actually Count Nikolai. Livelovich. and he's from russia so he's a great writer you should look into him in a certain town there lived a cobbler martin Advitich. by name he had a tiny room in a basement the one window of which looked out onto the street though it one could only see the feet of those who passed by but martin recognized the people by their boots he had lived long in the place and had many acquaintances. There was hardly a pair of boots in the neighborhood that had not been once or twice through his hands, so he often saw his own handiwork through the window. Some he had excuse me, resold, some patched, and some stitched up, and to... Some, he had put fresh uppers. He had plenty to do. For he worked well, used good material, did not charge too much. He could be relied on. If he could do a job by the day required, he undertook it. If not, he told the truth and gave no false promises. So, he was well known and never short of work. Martin had always been a good man, but in his old age he began to think more about his soul and to draw nearer to God. While he still worked for a master, before he set up on his own account, his wife had died, leaving him with a three-year-old son. None of his elder children had lived. They had all "'died in infancy. "'At first, Martin thought of sending his little son "'to his sisters in the country, "'and then he felt so sorry to part with the boy, "'thinking it would be hard for my little captain "'to have to grow up in a strange family. "'I will keep him with me.' "'Martin left his master and went into lodging "'with his little son, "'but he had no luck with his children.' No sooner had the boy reached an age when he could help his father and be a support as well as a joy to him than he fell ill and, after being laid up for a week with a burning fever, died. Martin buried his son and gave way to despair so great and overwhelming that he murmured against God. In his sorrow, he prayed again and again that he too might die, reproaching God for having taken the son he loved, his only son, while he, old as he was, remained alive. After that, Martin left off going to church. One day, an old man from Martin's native village, who had been a pilgrim for the last eight years, called in on his way from the Trotica Monastery. Martin opened his heart to him and told him of his sorrow. "'I no longer even wish to live, holy man,' he said. "'All I ask of God is that I soon may die. "'I am now quite without hope in the world,' the old man replied. "'You have no right to say such things, Martin. "'We cannot judge God's ways. "'Not our reasoning, but God's will decides.'" if god willed that your son should die and you should live it must be so as to your despair that comes because you wish to live for your own happiness what else should one live for asked martin for god martin said the old man he gives you life and he must live for him and excuse me and you must live for him When you have learnt to live for him, you will grieve no more, and all will seem easy to you. Martin was silent a while, and then asked, But how is one to live for God? The old man answered, How one may live for God has been shown us by Christ. Can you read? Then, buy the Gospels and read them. There, you will see how God will have you live. You have it all there. These words sank deep into Martin's heart. And that same day, he went and bought himself a testament in large print and began to read. At first, he meant only to read on holidays. But having once begun, he found it made his heart so light that he read it every single day sometimes he was so absorbed in his reading that the oil in his lamp burned out before he could tear himself excuse me tear himself away from the book he continued to read every night and the more he read the more clearly he understood what god required of him and how he lived might live for god and his heart grew lighter and lighter before he went to bed he used to lie with a heavy heart moaning as he thought of his little captain but now he only repeated again and again and captain is is his child glory to thee glory to thee O lord thy will be done for the time martin's whole life changed Formerly on holidays, he used to go and have tea at the public house and did not even refuse a glass or two of vodka. Sometime after having had a drop with a friend, he left the public house not drunk but rather merry and would say foolish things, shout at a man or abuse him. Now all that sort of thing passed away from him. His life began peaceful and joyful. He sat down to his work in the morning And when he had finished his day's work, he took the lamp down from the wall, stood it on the table, fetched his book from the shelf, opened it, and sat down to read. The more he read, the better he understood, and the clearer and happier he felt in his mind. It happened once that Martin sat up late, absorbed in his book. He was reading Luke's gospel, and in the sixth chapter, he came upon this verse to him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer another. And from him that taketh away thy cloak, withhold not thy coat also, give to every man that asketh thee. And to and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you Do ye also to them likewise. He also read the verse where our Lord says, And why can ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever come to me and heareth me my sayings and doeth them, I will shew you from whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house, and he dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat venomously upon that house, and it could not be shaken, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doesn't doeth nothing, is like a man that, without a foundation, built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat venomously and. Immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. When Martin read these words, his soul was glad within him. He took off his spectacles and laid them on the book, and leaning on his elbows on the table, pondered over what he had read. He tried his own life by the standard of those words, asking himself, Is my house built on the rock or on the sand? If it stands on the rock... It is well. It seems easy enough while one sits here alone and one thinks one has done one, excuse me, one has done all that God commands. But as soon as I cease to be on my guard, I sin again. Still I will preserve. It brings such joy. Help me, Lord. He thought all this. And was about to go to bed, but was loath to leave his book. So he went on reading the seventh chapter about the centurion, the widow's son, and the answer to John's disciples. And he came to the part where a rich Pharisee invited the Lord to his house. And he read how the woman, who was a sinner, anointed his feet and washed them with her tears. And how he justified her, coming to forty-fourth verse, he read, and turning to the woman, he said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I enter into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath wetted my feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. thou gavest me no kiss." But she, since the time I came in, hath no ceased to kiss my feet. My, he- my head with oil thou didst not anoint, but she hath anointed my feet with anointment. He read these verses and thought, He gave no water for his feet, gave no kiss, his head with oil he did not anoint. And Martin took off his spectacles once more, laid them on his book, and pondered. He must have been like me, that Pharisee. He too thought only of himself. How to get a cup of tea, how to keep warm and comfort. Never a thought of his guests. He took care of himself, but for his guests he cared nothing at all. Yet, who was the guest? The Lord himself? If he came to me, should I behave like that? Then Martin laid his head upon both his arms, and before he was aware of it, he fell asleep. Martin, he suddenly heard a voice, as if someone had breathed the word above his ear. He started from his sleep. Who's there? he asked. He turned around and looked at the door. No one was there. He called again. Then he heard quite distantly, Martin, Martin, look out into the street tomorrow, for I shall come. Martin roused himself, excuse me, Martin roused himself, rose from his chair, and rubbed his eyes, but did not know whether he had heard these words in a dream or awake. He put out the lamp, And lay down to sleep. Next morning he rose before daylight. And after saying his prayers. He lit the fire. And prepared his cabbage soup. And buckwheat porridge. Then he lit the samvar. But. Excuse me. Put on his apron. And sat down by the window. To his work. As he sat working. Martin thought over. What had happened the night before. At times it seemed to him. Like a dream and at times he thought that he had really heard that voice. Such things have happened before now, thought he. So, he sat by the window, looking out into the street. More than he worked. And whenever anyone passed in unfamiliar boots, he would stoop and look up. So as to see not the feet only, but the face of the passer-by as well. A house porter passed in new felt boots, when a waiter, excuse me, then a water carrier. Presently, an old soldier of Nicholas Reign came near the window, spade in hand. Martin knew him by his boots which were shabby, old felt ones, galoshed with leather. The old man was called Stepanich. A neighboring tradesman kept him in his house for charity, and his duty was to help the house porter. He began to clear away the snow before Martin's window. Martin glanced at him and then went on with his work. I must be growing crazy with age, said Martin, laughing at his fancy. Stepanich comes to clear away the snow and I must needs imagine excuse me, and I must needs imagine it's Christ coming to visit me. Oh Dotard that I am A Doltard is an old person, especially one who has become weak with sense. Yet after he had made a dozen stitches, he felt drawn to look out of the window again. He saw that Stepanich had leaned his spade against the wall and was either resting himself or trying to get warm. The man was old and broken down and had eventually not enough strength even to clear away the snow. "'What if I called him in and gave him some tea?' thought Martin." The sambar is just on the boil. He stuck his awl in its place and rose. An awl is a type of tool that you stab into a leather hole. It's just pretty much like a spike. And putting the sambar on the table made tea. Then he tapped the window with his fingers stepanich turned and came to the window martin beckoned him to come in and went himself to open the door come in he said and warm yourself a bit i'm sure you must be cold may god bless you stepanich answered my bones do ache to be sure he came in first shaking off the snow and least he should leave marks on the floor he began wiping his feet but as he did he tottered and nearly fell don't trouble to wipe your feet said martin I'll wipe up the floor. It's all in the day's work. Come, friend, sit down and have some tea. Filling two tumblers, he passed one to his visitor and pouring his own out into the saucer began to blow on it. Stepana emptied his glass and, turning it upside down, put the remains of his piece of sugar on the table. He began to express his thanks, but it was plain that he would be glad of some more. "'Another glass,' said Martin, refilling the visitor's tumbler and his own. "'But while he drank his tea, Martin kept looking out into the street. "'Are you expecting anyone?' asked the visitor. "'Am I expecting anyone? Well, now I'm ashamed to tell you. "'It isn't that I really expect anyone, but I heard something last night which I can't get out of my mind.' Whether it was a vision or only a fancy, I can tell you. You see, friend, last night I was reading the gospel about Christ the Lord, how he suffered, and how he walked on earth. You have heard heard tell of it, I dare say. I have heard tell of it, answered Stepanich. But I'm an ignorant man and not able to read. Well, you see, I was reading of how he walked on earth. I came to that part, you know, where he went to a Pharisee who did not receive him. Well, well, friend, as I read about it, I thought how that man did not receive Christ the Lord with proper honor. So suppose... Such a thing could happen to such a man as myself. I thought, what would I do to receive him? But that man gave him no reception at all. Well, friend, as I was thinking of this, I began to doze. And as I dozed, I heard someone call me by name. I got up and thought I heard someone whispering, expect me. I will come tomorrow. This happened twice over. And I tell you the truth, it sank into my mind that, though I am ashamed of it myself, I keep on expecting Him, the dear Lord. Stepanitch took his head in silence. Oh, excuse me, shook his head in silence, finished his tumbler and laid it on his side. Martin stood up again and refilled it for him. Here, drink another glass. Bless you. And I was thinking, too, how he walked on earth and despised no one, but went mostly among common folk. He went with plain people and chose his disciples with among the likes of us, from workmen like us, sinners that we are. He who raises himself, he says, shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be raised. You call me Lord, he said, and I will wash your feet. He who would be first, he said, let me be the servant of all, because he said, blessed are the poor, the humble, the meek, and the merciful. stephanic forgot his tea. He was an old man, easily moved to tears, and as he sat and listened, the tears ran down his cheeks. Come. Drink some more, said Martin, but Stepanek crossed himself, thanked him, moved away his tumbler, and rose. Thank you, Martin Aveditch, he said. You have given me food and comfort both for soul and body. You're very welcome. Come again another time. I am glad to have a guest, said Martin. Stepanek went away, and Martin poured out the rest of the tea and drank it up. Then he put away the tea things and sat down to his work, stitching the back seam of a boot. As he stitched, he kept looking out the window, waiting for Christ, and thinking about him and his doings. And his head was full of Christ's sayings. Two soldiers went by, one in government boots, the other in boots of his own, then the master of a neighboring house and and shining galoshes, then a baker carrying a basket, all these passed on. Then a woman came up in worst stockings and peasant-made shoes. She passed the window, but stopped by the wall. Martin glanced up at her, though the window—excuse me—through the window and saw that she was a stranger, poorly dressed, with a baby in her arms. He stopped by the wall—excuse me. She stopped by the wall, with her back to the wind. Trying to wrap the baby up, she had hardly anything to wrap it in. The woman had only summer clothes on, and even they were shabby and worn. Through the window, Martin heard the baby crying and the woman trying to soothe it, but unable to do so. Martin rose, and going out of the door and up the steps, he called to her, My dear, I say my dear, the woman heard and turned around why do you stand out here with the baby in the cold come inside you can wrap him better in a warm place come this way the woman was surprised to see an old man in an apron with spectacles on his nose calling to her but she followed him in they went down the steps entered the little room And the old man led her to the bed. There, sit down, my dear. Near the stove, warm yourself and feed the baby. Haven't any milk? I haven't eaten nothing myself since early morning, said the woman. But still she began, excuse me, but still she took the baby to her breasts. Martin shook his head. He brought a basin and some bread. Then he out a bit ba- excuse me. He brought out a basin and some bread, then he opened the oven door and poured some cabbage soup into the basin. He took out the porridge pot also, but the porridge was not yet ready, so he spread a cloth on the table and served only the soup and bread. Sit down and eat, my dear, and I'll mind the baby. Why, bless me, I've had children of my own. I know how to manage them. The woman crossed herself and, sitting down at the table, began to eat while Martin put the baby on the bed and began to sit down by it. He chucked and chucked, but having no teeth, he could not do it well, and the baby continued to cry. Then Martin tried poking at him with a finger. He drove his finger straight at the baby's mouth and then quickly drew it back and did this again and again. He did not let the baby take his finger in his mouth because it was all black with Cobbler's wax. But the baby first grew quite watching of the finger and then began to laugh and Martin felt quite pleased. The woman sat eating and talking and told him who she was and where she had been. I'm a soldier's wife, she said. They sent my husband somewhere far away months ago, and I have heard nothing of him since. I had a place as Cook till my baby was born, but then they would not keep me with a child. For three months now, I have been struggling, unable to find a place, and I've had to sell all I had for food. I tried to go as a wet nurse, but no one would have me. They said I was too starved-looking and thin. Now I have just been to see a tradesman's wife, a woman from our village, is in service with her, and she has promised to take me. I thought it was all settled at last, but she tells me not to come till next week. It is too far to her place, and I am frigid out, and baby is quite starved, poor mate. Fortunately, our landlady has pity on us and lets us lodge free, else I don't know what we should do. Martin sighed, haven't you any warmer clothing? he asked. How could I get warm clothing? said she. Why, I pawned my last shawl for sixpence yesterday. Then the woman came and took the child, and Martin got up. He went and looked among some things that were hanging on the wall and brought back an old cloak. Here, he said, though it's a worn out old thing, it will do to wrap up in. The woman looked at the cloak, then at the old man, and taking it, burst into tears. Martin turned away, and, groping under the bed, brought out a small trunk. He fumbled about in it, and again sat down opposite the woman, and the woman said, "'The Lord bless you, friend. Surely Christ must have sent me to your window, "'else the child would have frozen.' It was mild when I started, but now see how cold it has turned. Surely it must have been Christ who made you look out your window and take pity on me, poor wretch. Martin smiled and said, It is quite true. It was. He made me do it. It was no mere chance. Made me look out. And he told me the woman, his dream, and how he had heard the voice. Lord's voice and promising to visit him that day. Who knows? All things are possible, said the woman. And she got up and threw the cloak over her shoulders, wrapping it around herself and around the baby. Then she bowed and thanked Martin once more, taking, excuse me, take this for Christ's sake, said Martin, and gave her sixpence to get her shawl out of pawn. The woman crossed herself. And Martin did the same, and then he saw her out after the woman had gone. Martin ate some cabbage soup, cleared the things away, and sat down to work again. He sat and worked, but did not forget the woman excuse me, did not forget the window, and every time a shadow fell on it, he looked up at once to see who was passing. People he knew and strangers passed by, but no one remarkable. after a while, Martin saw an Apple woman stopped just in front of his window. She had a large basket, but there not seemed to be many apples left in it. She had evidently sold most of her stock. On her back, she had a sack full of chips, which she was taking home. No doubt, she had gathered them at some place where building was going on the sack evidently excuse me the sack evidently hurt her and she wanted to shift it from one sole, shoulder to the other so she put it down on the footpath and placing her basket on a post began to shake down the chips in the sack while she was doing this a boy in a tethered Cap ran up, snatched an apple out of the basket, and tried to slip away, but the old woman noticed it, and turning, caught the boy by his sleeve. He began to struggle, trying to free himself, but the old woman held on with both hands, knocked his cap off his head, and seized hold of his hair. The boy screamed, and the old woman scolded. Martin dropped his awl, not waiting to stick it in its place, and rushed out the door. Stumbling up the stairs and dropping his spectacles in his hurry, he ran out into the street. The old woman was pulling the boy's hair and scolding him and threatening to take him to the police. The lad was struggling and protesting, saying, I did not take it. What are you beating me for? Let me go. Martin separated them. He took the boy by the hand and said, Let him go, Granny. Forgive him for Christ's sake. I'll pay him out so that he won't forget it for a year. I'll take the rascal to the police. Martin began entreating the old woman. Let him go, Granny. He won't do it again. Let him go for Christ's sake. The old woman let go and the boy wished to run away but Martin stopped him. "Ask the granny's forgiveness," said he. "And don't, excuse me, and don't do it another time. I saw you take the apple." The boy began to cry and to beg pardon. "That's right. Now here's an apple for you." And Martin took an apple from the basket and gave it to the boy, saying, I will pay you, Granny. You will spoil them that way, the young rascals, said the old woman. He ought to be whipped so that he should remember it for a week. Oh, Granny, Granny, said Martin. That's our way, but it's not God's way. If he should be whipped for stealing an apple, what should be done to us for our sins? The old woman was silent, and Martin told her, The parable of the Lord who forgave his servant a large debt and how the servant went out and seized his debtor by the throat. The old woman listened to it all and the boy too stood by and listened. God bids us forgive, said Martin, or else we shall not be forgiven. Forgive everyone and a thoughtless youngster most of all. The old woman wagged her head and sighed. It's true enough, she said, but they are getting terribly spoilt. Then we, old ones, must show them better ways, Martin replied. That's just what I say, said the old woman. I have had seven of them myself, and only one daughter is left. And the old woman began to tell how where she was living with her daughter and how many grandchildren she had. There now, she said, I have but little strength left, yet I work hard for the sake of my grandchildren, and nice children, they are too. No one comes out to meet me but the children. Little Annie now won't leave me for anyone. It's grandmother, dear grandmother, darling grandmother. And the old woman completely softened at the thought. Of course, it was only his childness. God help him, she said, referring to the boy. As the old woman was about to hoist her sack on her back, the lad sprang forward to her, saying, Let me carry it for you, Granny. I'm going that away." The old woman nodded her head and put the sack on the boy's back, and they went down the street together, the old woman quite forgetting to ask Martin to pay for the apple. Martin stood and watched him as they went along talking to each other. When they were out of sight, Martin went back to the house, having found his spectacles unbroken on the steps. He picked up his awl and sat down again to work. He worked a little, but soon not see to pass the bristle through the holes in the leather, and presently he noticed the lamplighter passing on his way to light the street lamps. Seems it's time to light the street lamps, thought he, So he trimmed his lamp, hung it up, and sat down again to work. He finished off one boot, turning it about, examining it. It was all right. Then he gathered his tools together, swept up the cuttings, put away the bristles and the thread and the awl, and taking down the lamp, placed it on the table. Then he took the gospels from the shelf. He meant to open them, At the place he had marked the day before with a bit of morocco. Morocco is a fine, flexible leather made from goat skin tanned with sumac. But the book opened at another place. As Martin opened it, his yesterday's dreams came back to his mind and no sooner had the thought of it and he seemed to hear footsteps, as though someone were moving behind him. Martin turned round, and it seemed to him as if people were standing in the dark corner, but he could not make out who they were, and a voice whispered in his ear, Martin, Martin, don't you know me? Who is it? muttered Martin. said the voice and out of the dark corner stepped Stefanovich who smiled and vanished like a cloud was seen no more it is I said the voice again and out of the darkness stepped the woman with the baby in her arms and the woman smiled and the baby laughed and they too vanished It is I, said the voice once more. And the old woman and the boy with the apple stepped out and both smiled and they too vanished. And Martin's soul grew glad. He crossed himself, put on his spectacles and began reading the gospel just where it had opened. And at the top of the page he read, I was hungry, and ye gave me meat, I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, and at the bottom of the page he read, And as much as ye did it unto one of these my brethren, even these least ye did it unto me. And Martin understood that his dream had come true, and that the Savior had really come to him that day, and he had welcomed him. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. That was published in 1885, believe it or not. It's a great read. I thank you for tuning in. I decided to do some Leo Tolstoy this month. I know I published another book recently. Thank you guys for always tuning in. Thank you for sharing me. Thank you for being a part of this. And thank you for listening. And hopefully you enjoy Leo Tolstoy. And hopefully you'll get out there and check out some of his books. Because I only chose to do short stories by him after... He got out of his nihilist state and the anarchist state, which I understand the anarchist state and the nihilist state because I feel like in the United States that we're going through that a lot right now. That you're seeing a lot more nihilist than you are Christians, and unfortunately, maybe you're not just hearing the Christian voice enough. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, but I feel that we're still a Christian nation, and hopefully, that we can get it back to good, and maybe even. People of different religions could help with that too because we have a lot of positive religion or religious groups here in America. And I think that it's a diverse um, community of wonderful religious people. And I do believe that everybody comes to a point in their life that they have to realize that there is no other way but to God and to live life for God. Your God, the way you understand Him, the way you get over something is to give it to God and to trust Him wholly with the struggle that you're going through and that He is the one true way, the life, and there can be no other way. And you have to always turn to them. Like people feel alone and they're like, oh, I don't know who to turn to. Oh, I don't know who to talk to. Things that have always brought me back to life were turning to God, um, gathering at a new church with people I have no idea who they are, worshiping through song, worshiping through meditation, worshiping through spiritual, um, you know, uh, small group meetings, uh, wife, husbands, um, boyfriend, girlfriend meetings, or even just great friend, teen meetings, you know, youth group. I I started my spiritual journey as a young child. I have always been involved pretty much in the church. And a lot of times I have backslid. But I'm telling you, anytime you say that you're saved, your God will come back and get you at some point. You don't ever get to get away from that. That's a commitment that's uh, true and binding. We are what we say we are. We are what we do. We are all these different things that we're made up of. You know, we have a choice in life. It's not our parents' fault, you know um the way we are leo tolstoy realized that early on because obviously his mom died when he was 2 years old and his dad at 9 years old and that solidified a movement in his mind that you know he was raised by other family members but leo tolstoy went on to have 13 children he had 9 with his first wife And he really did. He served in the War of 1812 as well over there. It was the Crimea War. He was changed by all those things. And as a man, we are all changed too. And as a woman, we are, you're all changed as well. You know, there's many different changes in life. And and in every religion also, it says that, that, you know, one of their characters in their book that they read they encounter their god and they change their name because when you change your name you change your life you set higher standards for yourself you go on to become something that you never thought you could be you're at one with yourself you're at peace with yourself and there's no better understanding than loving oneself completely and truly but also You could never love somebody, even your own kid, when you have a kid, if you don't love yourself. And there's a lot of us out there that are going through secret um, negative self-talk, negative letdowns, you know, repeating habitual storylines in your head. You know, a lot of people don't even know that they're ADHD, the feeling of, I'm not good enough, I'm never going to make it, oh, they're going to hate me, or... Constantly worrying constantly stressing future anxieties and it happens to a lot of people that um, are recovering drug addicts they get off drugs and they become um, So overwhelmed by this new lifestyle that's hard for them to make eye contact with people because their soul they feel has been tarnished or They feel out-of-body experiences while they were doing those things and they've done remorseful things or whatever, but in reality you could go back to the God that you belong to, ask for forgiveness, move forward, and set sail in a different direction, and that's what people don't understand, and a lot of times in life, even in the 90s, I felt pressured, like, kids were like, oh, don't push your religion on me, I was like, oh, man, I, I was so excited about the Lord back then, I did not know any better, and I felt bad, but... Then again, I was like, whoa, man, I think people need to know about this guy because Jesus was the most important thing that ever happened to us because he lived and died for people's sins and he rose again on the third day and it's factual information, it's proven and he's in every Bible, he's in the Quran, he's in the Hindu religions, he's in Chinese writings, he's in the writings in Babylon, you know, Jesus wasn't just some fake dude, he was real and people believed in him and when he had 5000 followers that's when like the Pharisees and the government the Romans and people started getting worried when thousands of people back in those times came to see somebody that was like a straight um hit to the government so they were worried so they wanted him to be put to death because they didn't want people to follow him but in reality he knew he had a purpose here he spent 30 year 30 years on a three-year ministry so you know if you think you're going through hard times and you can't believe that all the things have gone on because this is what I do to myself sometimes you know it's hard for me to really believe all the things that have gone on in my life when I tell people about my life they're like oh man you lived a wild life and I really had no idea but it's a trauma loop too to repeat those things to people a lot of times so I share my stories with people and it's like You know, I can I can be forgiven. I can move on from that thing. And the greatest way, like I always say, to live in hell is to not take things personal anymore. To take a deep breath. To realize that people's behaviors aren't your problem. The way somebody's acting or treating you is just a reflection of their own personal self. That their true self is... Something's going on inside of them you have no idea about. And that the only thing to do is just really focus on how you're going to react or respond and go from there and that's where I'm at in my life I just want peace I want prosperity peace and one day just not to have to worry about anything anymore that you know I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough because people have a lot of um mental ailments now because there's a lot of um nutritional deficiencies out there that we're not aware of that we're doing to ourselves there's a lot of people taking a lot of different supplements you know nobody wants to exercise they want this magic dose of skinniness overnight you know I mean it's 90% diet 10% exercise but mind body soul like I say another my podcast thank you guys for listening thank you for sharing and hopefully this was a good Leo Tolstoy moment I just wanted to give you a little bit of my own insight at the end thank you so much for tuning in um i think that that was one of my more favorite leo tolstoy short story reads and hopefully all of you guys enjoyed it i uh i found it to be one of the better ones after he you know gave his life back to god and he really came forward he changed his whole writing style and he actually disliked a lot of his old stuff and Thank you guys for listening, and I think I'm gonna do another one of his stories real soon here. Please share me, please follow me, and thank you again. It's your boy Lo Jackson.